Well, good morning, everyone. And I, after that worship service, I kind of feel that I probably don't need to speak. That was a, a really good introduction and a, and a worship in what the wilderness means for us. Um, and if you haven't figured, we did talk about it a little bit last week, that this week we're going to be talking about the wilderness. And we're going to be reading from the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So if you're wanting to follow along in your Bibles, it will be Deuteronomy chapter 8. So reading from verse 1, it says, All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do so that you may live and increase and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years in order to humble you, putting you to the test to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you go hungry and then fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, in order to make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. So you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, And to fear him, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of streams of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without shortage, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God, for the good land which he has given you. But be careful to not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied and you build good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks increase and your silver and your gold increase and everything that you have increases, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You'll forget he who led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and its thirsty ground where there was no water. He who brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness it was he who fed you manna which your fathers did not know in order to humble you and in order to put you to the test to do good for you in the end. Otherwise you may say on your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made this wealth. And it shall come about, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve and worship them, I testify against you today that you will certainly perish like the nations that the Lord eliminates from you, so you shall perish because you have not listened to the voice of the Lord your God. So last week we looked at part of this passage and we explored how Satan uses pride as a weapon or a tool to deceive us away and lead us down a path of destruction. And on this, this morning, we're going to look at the flip side of that. We're going to look at the same passage and see that God uses the wilderness as a tool to combat pride, a tool to teach us humility, to teach us to be humble. But firstly, we've got to look, what is a wilderness? For the Israelites, the wilderness was literally a wilderness. It was, it was a wilderness. It was a desert, mostly desert. 
So unless there's some hardcore survival enthusiasts here today, you might be thinking, well, what does the, what's the application going to be? Because I'm not going to find myself in a wilderness or a desert for 40 years. What's the application for us today in this time and this space? And we can glean some insight if we look closely at what the wilderness meant for Israel. So we know that Israel was led into the desert and they wandered in the desert for over 40 years. Um, so firstly, we can see that the wilderness was a, a, a time of, of wandering. There was limited direction. Yes, they had a goal that they were going to move from this camp to this camp, but outside of that, they were re- re- relatively directionless. They were going around in circles. One of the first places they went, they ended up back there 20 years later. They were going nowhere. They were lacking that purpose. There was a pointlessness almost to their wandering. So if you're finding yourself in, that, in a period of time where you're, you're not having the direction that you would have liked or you feel that you're not going anywhere or you feel you're stuck in that rut and you don't know where the next step is, you're in a wilderness. You're in a wilderness. We can look at the, the wilderness as well as a time of waiting. The children of Israel had to wait. They had to wait for what was going to be promised to them. They had to wait for an entire generation to die off in the wilderness. And when they were waiting, they were, they were in a wilderness. So if you're in a time of waiting, maybe it's you're waiting on some important news. Maybe it's you're waiting on um, test results to come back for your health. Maybe you're waiting for that answer to come back or that job that you've applied for. Or maybe you're waiting for a change in your circumstances because these circumstances can't go on forever and you're waiting for that change. You're in a wilderness. You're in a wilderness this morning. The wilderness was also a time of warring or a time of opposition for the children of Israel. They, they were attacked by the Amalekites quite viciously. They, they had conflict with the Midianites. They had conflict with the Moabites. It was a time where they were attacked and they felt at the mercy of those around them. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you are surrounded by overwhelming opposition. Maybe you're feeling really targeted in, in your workplace. Maybe you have that, you're feeling pulled down, victimized. Everything's working against you and nothing seems to be going right. You're in a wilderness. And lastly, the, the wilderness was a time of wanting for the children of Israel. It was a time where they wanted, they knew that there was a promised land. They knew that it was promised to their ancestors and they knew that God was going to deliver them. God had delivered them out of Egypt and on their, their belief to the promised land. And then they had to wait in the desert wanting for this promised land. They were also hungry. They wanted to know where their next meal was going to come from. They were wanting. And maybe you're in that period where you're, you're wanting something this morning. Maybe it's you're wanting something to change with your health because it's just overwhelmingly unbearable. Maybe it's you're wanting a little bit extra money or you're wanting your paycheck to go a little bit further because the cost of living is getting out of, out of control. Maybe you're just wanting that new job because you're stuck in a rut with the job that you're doing. Maybe it's something in your family that you're wanting to change. 
When we're at that time of, of un, unbelievable wanting, we're in a wilderness. But what is the purpose of a wilderness? Why do we find ourselves in these wildernesses? And we see in this passage that God uses the wilderness to humble us. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you in that wilderness these 40 years in order to humble you, putting you to the test to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God uses wildernesses to humble us. And how does he achieve this? Well, I feel he does it through two ways. Firstly, he highlights a truth to us. And we talked last week about truth being one of the ways that we combat the deceptions of the enemy, that when he tries to deceive us and to appear to our pride, we use the belt of truth. We wrap ourselves in the truth. Well, the truth that, that God is revealing here is that God is the source of, source of everything in our life. If we flip back to Exodus 16, we read in verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread down from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, so that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather that day. So Moses and Aaron said to the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumblings against the Lord. God is reminding Israel that everything that they had came from him. He was the source of everything in their life. Manna, which literally just means what is it, because they didn't know what it was. It's never been seen before. It was God's supernatural provision. Now, I've heard theories that it's insects that deposit a certain thing that turns into a husk, and then you can eat it. But really, this is God's supernatural provision. Insects that do this at a certain time of the day and then do double on the sixth day and then none on the seventh day, it just seems strange. This was God's supernatural provision for his people. Manna was their daily portion. That was God providing for them. What are our daily portions today? What does God provide for us? Our jobs, our income, that is provided by God. Our families are provided by God. Our abilities, our intelligence, even our faith is provided by God. You might say, well, look, I chose this faith. Yes, but God gave you the grace to choose through his provenient grace. He turned us around in our sin so that we could choose to follow Christ. Our faith comes from God. You see, there are two tests here. Firstly, there is the test around our contentment with what God has provided. Israel grumbled and murmured. They didn't pass this test. They complained about what God had provided. Back in Exodus 16, verse 8, For the Lord hears your grumblings which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumbles aren't against us. This is Moses and Aaron talking. But your grumblings against the Lord. Because you're grumbling about what God has provided for you. And God takes complaining very seriously. Do you realize that when we make a complaint about our circumstances, we are complaining about God's provision? Every gripe about our jobs or our finances or our relationships or our car that doesn't work all the time or the studies that we can't seem to pass, we're making a complaint against God. 
for he is the source of everyone, everything. Whatever it may be, we grumble against God because he is the source of all things. And now I understand that things in our lives can go wrong. We live in a fallen world where things don't go according to plan. And it's not, the issue is not that things aren't going right, but rather there is a humble way to try and fix that. No one can question whether Israel was hungry and thirsty in the desert. Thousands of people migrating days on end without a source of water or food. They were hungry. No one can question that. Things were not going okay for them. But rather than seeking God's continued provision, they grumbled and they complained. God had already provided a deliverance for them, a miraculous deliverance. These are the same people that saw the ten plagues in Egypt, the same people that saw the parting of the Red Sea, the same people that saw the the waters cleansed by casting a stick into it. But they grumbled. There's a popular expression that I, that over the last few years that my, mainly my non-Christian colleagues are using, and I'm not going to repeat it because it is a little bit expletive, but when you boil it down, it's like, kill me now, I hate my life. When things aren't going, they just let this saying out, kill me now, I hate my life. And some of them is just when something small is going wrong. And it might sound familiar because in Exodus 16, it says, the sons of Israel said to them, if only we died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt where we had pots of meat and we ate bread till we were full, for you've brought us into this wilderness to kill us with hunger. Kill me now, I hate my life. This was the the grumbling that they brought against God. You see, Israel thought the issue was with their taste buds, but really it was their proud hearts. There's no better indicator of pride in your life than when you have discontentment and grumbling. The second test that I see here is that because God is the source of everything, we shouldn't boast in the things that we have. Last week we spoke about pride and the deception of Satan. We can see in here in Deuteronomy 8, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God. And then you may say in your heart, it is my power and strength that brought me this wealth. And we looked at that verse in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Who is it that makes you differ from another? Who is it that makes you different from the person next to you? It is God that makes you different? And what do you have that your other person doesn't have that you weren't given from God? Then why do you boast as if you didn't receive it from God? You see, pride is comparative. Pride is comparative. We're not proud because we have something. We're proud because we believe what we have is better than somebody else's. My family is more successful than someone else's family. I am proud of my family. Well, my car is better than someone else's car. I'm proud of my car. It is comparative. But this is pointless because what you have has actually been given to you. It is not actually 
something that you've actually achieved or you've actually earned or you've actually sourced within your own strength and your own power. It was given to you from God. Why lord it over someone next to you? These are the tests. The second thing we see from the wilderness, and I'll just pause for a drink. We see that God is the source of everything. God provided everything for the children of Israel, but he also regulated his provision. He also gave them rules as to how they were to use the provision. We read in Deuteronomy 8, it's not by bread alone that we live, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, God's word. God told Israel how to use the manna. This is what the Lord says commanded, everyone gather as much as he will eat. You shall take an omer, a piece, according to the number of people in your tent. You will only gather for the amount of people in your tent. If you've got 20 people in your tent, you'll gather for that. If you've only got three people in your tent, you'll gather for that. Then the sons of Israel did so, and they gathered, some gathered much and some gathered little. When they measured it, the omer, the, by the omer, the one who had gathered much didn't have too much, and the one that gathered a little didn't have too little. Everyone gathered as much as they could eat. God gave them a direction for how to use his supernatural provision. But we see also in, that Israel misused the provision. In verse 19 of Exodus 16, he says, Moses said to them, no one is to leave any of it until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. And some left part of it to the morning. And when they woke in the morning, it had bred worms and it stank. It was good for nothing. And Moses was wroth with them. They gathered it morning by morning and everyone as much as they could eat. But when the sun became hot, it would melt. They had a short window of time they could gather it. If they, were, if they were lazy and they didn't go out in the morning, they were going to miss out. And if they tried to store it up so they could be lazy the next day, it stank. God gave them a regulation for how to use provision. You know what? God regulates our portions as well. All of our income comes from God. God regulates how we to use our money. Honor God with the first fruits of your labor. Your tithe belongs to God. In the Bible, we're encouraged to look after the poor and the less fortunate than us with our wealth. We're encouraged to not store up wealth on earth, but to store up riches in heaven. We're told not to put our hope in our riches, for they will disappoint. We're told to be wise in the use of our money. God regulates our portion. God regulates our time. The book of Proverbs has many references to the slothful man. The man who would not work because it was too hard. The man who wouldn't go outside because there was opposition outside. The man who wanted an easy life. A man who wanted someone to feed them rather than going to cook the food that he'd bought or that he'd hunted for. The slothful man. God regulates how we use our time. Several of the epistles tells us and heeds us to make the most of every opportunity that God has given us to reach the lost, to live a life worthy of our calling, to live a holy and blameless life. God regulates how we're to use our time. That's our manner. God regulates our words. 
There are several passages through the Bible that tell us we are always to speak the truth. Thou shalt not lie. In Proverbs 10, 19, it says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Who here uses social media? And you might say, hey, Michael, the Bible says nothing about our technology. But our technology is merely an extension of our words. So our Instagram, our Snapchats, our Twitters, our Facebooks, these are all extensions of your words. It's it's just extended. They allow you to say more words more often to more people. And if we look back to that that passage in Proverbs 10, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. So the more words that you actually say, the more chances you are of actually being caught up in sin. I don't use social media very often. I still have a Facebook account that, unfortunately, I haven't deactivated notifications, so I get all the emails every time someone updates something. And occasionally I'll go in there and I look and I just see the things that are being posted and it's almost like it's the mind dump that people just put whatever comes into their mind and just throw onto onto Facebook and to, to social media. In poetry, we call it a stream of consciousness where literally anything that's in you just flows out onto the page. You know what Proverbs calls that person? A fool. A fool. In Matthew 12, 36 to 37, but I say to you that every idle word that men may speak, they will give account for it in the day of judgment for by your words... You will be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. And you can synonymously replace idle with careless, flippant, frivolous, trivial. These words are idle. God regulates how we're to use our words. This is his instruction for how we're to use our manner. And there's so many. I could talk about how we're to use, how do we conduct ourselves in our marriage, how we're to love our spouse how we are to raise our children, how we are to discipline them, how we are to conduct ourselves in our workplaces to our superiors. God regulates our portions. See, God is the source of all things and he's given us a manual in his word with how we're supposed to use them. And when we fail with that regulation, the portion stinks. The portion starts to stink. It becomes good for nothing when we don't regulate it the way that God wants us to regulate it. Our time, our money. When we don't regulate these things the way God wants, it stinks. In Numbers 11, we see whether the children complained again about having bread for so long. Why can't we have meat? We need meat, Moses. Tell God that we need meat. And so the Lord said, I'll give you meat. I'll give it to you today, tomorrow, the next day. I'll give you so much meat that you will not know how to do, deal with. It went a day's journey either side of their camp and it was stacked this high of quail. They had so many quail. And we read in verse 33, while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was even chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and a grave plague and affliction befell them. They did not regulate the manner according to God's instruction. 
And they complained about his provision and it angered God. God takes this seriously. And that hasn't changed from the wilderness to now. God takes this seriously. See, God didn't give manna and a rule book for manna to punish us. He did it to prepare us. It says in Deuteronomy 8, it says, for to do good for you in the end. And it starts off that you will live and you will increase and you will multiply. That was where God wanted them to go. I'm thinking of that children's song that we learn in, well, I don't know if they still learn it today, but when I was a child we learned it. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Because the Father up above is looking down in love. See, God does not do these things to punish us, but so that we can be successful. A wilderness prepares you for future blessing. The indicator of how you do with adversity will depend on how you do with prosperity. This is why God prepared the children the way he did. It was so, and God was going to fulfill his promise. He was never going to go back on his word to provide the descendants of Abraham with a promised land. In fact, while in Numbers we can see while the children were being stiff-necked in the desert, he's actually preparing the way amongst the Moabites for them to take the land of Canaan with Balaam and the story that happens there. God wasn't just sitting on his laurels punishing children of Israel. He was preparing the promised land. He wasn't going to go back on his promises, but he needed the humility of his people to fulfill those promises. He wanted to bless and to promise, prosper. And that's the same for you and I today. He doesn't give you wildernesses to punish you. He doesn't allow the wilderness for you to, to be in to punish you, but it is to help grow you, to help you see where pride may be taking a hold in your life. We are dependent by design. We were designed to be dependent upon God. When we fail to be dependent on him, we're not doing what we were created to do. Israel's exile could also be viewed as another wilderness when Israel was taken into exile. And in Isaiah 48, it reads, Behold, I have refined you, not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my sake have I done this. How can I let my name be profaned? And why would I yield my glory to someone else? God wants us to live a life that brings glory to him. To give glory to him. And that comes with our humility. Paul talks about in the, in the New Testament, he, he talks about how the children of Israel, they, were, they, they escaped the wrath of God through the blood of the lamb on the mantle in Egypt. And then days later, they were released from the burden of captivity with the Exodus. And then they passed through the Red Sea and were led by the cloud. And that was a baptism for them. And then they were led into the wilderness for testing. I don't think it's coincidence that when Jesus arose from his baptism, he was led into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested. 
And what did Jesus come back to? He came back to the very passage in Deuteronomy 8. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the very words that come out of the mouth of the Lord. Christ had a humility. And humility is a characteristic that God desires above all in his people. And that's the characteristic that we need to be embracing today. In Philippians 2, Paul writes, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something that he could grasp, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being found, being born in the likeness of men. He forego all of the glory that came in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he emptied himself of all of that and didn't think that was something that could be grasped when he was found as a man. And then being found in the appearance of the man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. And not just any death, a Christ-like death, where he was humiliated in front of everyone. And it goes on and says, for this reason, for this reason, God highly exalted him. It was the humility that Christ displayed that gives him a name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to the glory of God the Father. Humility is what brings glory to God. Sometimes we we, we get so caught up in our wilderness and we're like the children of Israel that we want, where can my relief come from? Well, how can I get out of this? Or I should just go back to what I was doing beforehand because it's so much better than where I am now. Or maybe we've got some curses that are starting to come into our thinking. like, man, I just hate my life right now. And we need to check ourselves because we're complaining about God. God has a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. A plan to give you a future and a hope and a purpose. Your wilderness is but his way of humbling you so that you can further glorify him. And that's the challenge I want to leave you this morning. Don't despise your wilderness. Whatever that may be, whether it's a time of wanting or warring, whether it's a time of wandering where you don't know where you're going, do not despise this. Rather rejoice in the fact that God is leading you to something better and God wants to refine you. God wants to perfect you into something better. We need to humble ourselves. Let us close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the lessons that you have in the wilderness. Lord, forgive us when when we we can't see past our circumstances. Forgive us when we we despise you. Forgive us when we grumble against you and what you've provided. Forgive us when we, we are jealous of what other people have. Lord, help us to keep our our eyes fixed on you. Help us to embrace our wilderness, to embrace our trials. Lord, work within those trials to build the character and the perseverance and the hope that comes through those. Lord, thank you for your son Jesus who, who gave us a way, who showed us it is possible to resist temptation and to pass the trial 
Lord, help us to walk with him as we go through our trials each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.